Good morning. Will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews and chapter 11. We're examining the lives of the saints mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in our sermon series called A Great Cloud of Witnesses. And because we're thinking of a great cloud of witnesses, everyone we're going to be talking about is dead. They've gone before us. They live their life and they are remembered by God, by way of the author of Hebrews, for one single thing, even though every single person we're remembering did different things. They are remembered for their faith. And the conclusion to Hebrews chapter 11 is the first two verses of Hebrews 12, where we are told, having considered this great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we're going through Hebrews 11, looking at these saints, and then at the end of each message, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Today we will see the faith of Enoch. Enoch. The text for today is typed out on the back of the bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. Before I read Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, let me pray first. Blessed be your name, O Lord. You have given us life, and life today is a gift from you. So thank you for life. You've given us breath to sing praises to you this morning. So thank you for that breath which we used to praise you. Lord, we use our breath to pray, and you hear and answer our prayers. So thank you for that. The children of this congregation and community are a gift from you. And we thank you for their joyful voices that we heard this morning, singing your great truths from your word. You, you didn't spare your own son, you gave him up for us all. So we know, Lord, that you along with him will graciously give us all things. So Lord, inspired by those children and their faith, we now ask, as we open your word, please give us all things we need from your word. Nourish us with your word. Comfort us by your word. Humble us in the face of your word and make us more like Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit, applying your words to our hearts. Give us joy as we receive your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11 and verses 5 And six, let's hear the good and glorious word of our Lord. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And... Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The faith of Enoch. Last week, we considered Abel, the second born human being. 
Adam and Eve were created, and then they come together and give birth to Cain. And Cain is the first older brother, and Abel is the first younger brother. Cain and Abel go out, and they offer different sacrifices to God. And out of jealousy, Cain kills his younger brother, Abel. Abel is remembered that he, by faith, offered to God what God gave him to offer, an animal. Today we see Enoch, and the main point this morning is this. Faith pleases God. If you want to remember what this sermon's about, faith pleases God. And that means a couple of things. Faith in itself pleases God. Think of a child saying, I trust you, mom, or I trust you, dad. That alone pleases a parent. So our faith alone as a gift from God pleases him. But active faith, when we live out our faith, a faith is something that should please God. By faith, we want to please God with all we think, all we say, and all we do. And so Enoch will remind us that faith pleases God. We first learn about Enoch, not in Hebrews 11, but in Genesis 5. And you don't have to turn there because it's barely any story at all. In Genesis 5, starting in verse 21, we learn that Enoch was born, and here's what it says. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So what do we know about Enoch? Well, Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Bible trivia answer, who was the oldest human being who ever lived? Methuselah, right? 969 years. So Enoch's the dad of somebody who's at least known for something. And then it says he walked with God and then God took him. So we know this about Enoch. Enoch's life ended in a remarkable way. Enoch's life ended in a remarkable way, and that's all we know about him, because his faith pleased God. He died differently, or is it actually saying, is it actually saying that he never died? Well, thinking back on Genesis 5, here's what it says about all the other pre-flood patriarchs. Uh, verse 5 of Genesis 5, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. The days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. The days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. The days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. The days of Mahalalel, 895, he died. Jared, 962, he died. Methuselah, 969, he died. Lamech, 777, and then he died. But not Enoch. Enoch did not die. He finished his race, he finished his course, he finished his life, but he, along with one other person, actually literally did not have his body die. God took him straight to be with him without the physical act of the body dying. Verse 24 of Genesis, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So he's famous and we literally don't know a single thing he did. And this is really encouraging news because a lot of us aren't going to be famous. We're going to be remembered for what our faith did in our lives. And that's what Enoch is remembered for. Not for anything special. Not for changing the world. Enoch is one of the most obscure human beings ever. 
He's even more obscure than Tank Man. When I say Tank Man, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Tank Man. Okay, some of you think you know. I'm thinking of the man who stood in front of the line of tanks in Tiananmen Square against the communist crackdown on protest and dissent. In 1989, China was crushing dissent. Protests were raging. And there's these famous series of pictures of one man on an empty, like, six-lane road in Tiananmen Square. And there's this line of tanks. And one dude stopped the line of tanks. So we know one thing he did, but he's gone from history because they didn't let him go, right? We don't know his name. We don't know what he did after that. But we do know he protested communism. He protested the crackdown of the government. He stood in front of a line of tanks. We at least know what he did, but we don't know his name. Enoch, we know his name and his Ancestry.com login credentials. We know his, his dad and his son and how old he lived, but we don't know anything else. And that's so interesting. That's so interesting. The author of Hebrews, and God wants us to know that people who do nothing special in the world can be remembered by the rest of the world if they just have faith in God. And that is game-changing for us. Simple faith that pleases the Lord will change the world. When a famous person dies, it's popular for people to say, what difference did this person's life make? How did they make the world a better place? We can't do that with Enoch. In fact, I have a fun little uh, experiment here. I want to know who your favorite Old Testament person was. Raise your hand if your favorite Old Testament person is Ruth. Is anyone's favorite Old Testament? Yeah, here we go. Ruth, we've got at least one Ruth. Ruth's awesome. All right, how many of you, your favorite Old Testament person is David? Oh, wow, thanks. I was named after David. Hopefully the good things he did, not all the bad things he did. How about Noah? Whose favorite Old Testament person is Noah? I see any hands on that one. How about Moses? Yeah, Moses had the most hands. How about Esther? Yeah, all right, Esther. I, th- I was thinking about it this week. I'm like, who is it for me? It is Esther for me. I just think that's the great, that's an awesome story, what Esther did and what she was called to do for the Lord. Okay, raise your hand if your favorite Old Testament person is Enoch. <laughs> right? None of you. His name means who? Actually, I'm, I'm kidding. But it might as well. It might as well, right? He, we don't know anything about him. His name actually means what he's remembered for. Enoch means dedicated. And now how about this? Because he was one of the first human beings ever, it's likely that the word Enoch became used for the word dedicated after Enoch, inspired by Enoch living a life of dedication to someone. His life was wholly dedicated to God. He is only known for who he loved and served. That's it. Enoch means dedicated. We don't know what he did, but we know who he was dedicated to. We don't know what he did, but we know who he lived for, which makes us ask at the beginning of a year as we're thinking and making plans, what kind of person do we want to be? We've got to ask a better question than what do we want to do? The better question from Scripture, pointing all the way to Jesus Christ, who did for us what we needed him to do, the question we need to ask is, who do we live for? Who are you dedicated to? 
Whose desires today do you most want to meet? Your own desires or the desires of your loving creator and redeemer? And do people around you know who you live for? Consider your own heart today. What person are you most dedicated to? We will be able to tell by how you live. In our culture, the dominant religion is now individualism. Some people call it expressive individualism. We're told all the time, every commercial, every pop-up ad, every pop-up ad on top of the pop-up ads, live for yourself. You're hungry, get this food. You're lonely, get this date. You're bored, get this entertainment. You're this, get that. Meet your needs. Individualism. Fill your needs. Every app on your phone can make you feel better, can meet some tangible need. And we're told that everywhere. But Christianity counters that with a much better story and a much better person to live for than you. And that's Jesus Christ, who the Lord sent to be dedicated to us to die in our place. And so Enoch means dedicated. That's what we learn from Genesis. But the author of Hebrews wants to remember Enoch's dedicated faith, and he wants to tell us a little bit more about it. So go back to Hebrews 11 now, our two verses, verses 5 and 6. Let me read them again. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So in light of these two verses, we have three points about Enoch. First, we want to talk about Enoch's ending. Enoch's ending. What does it mean about how he finished his life? Second, Enoch's legacy. Enoch's legacy. And third, how faith pleases God. How faith, our faith, pleases God. First, Enoch's ending. Look at verse 5 one more time. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. It is a truism, particularly when you're reading the Bible, that everyone dies. Everyone dies. Whoever the oldest living person in the world is will eventually die, and then there will be another oldest living person in the world. Wouldn't you know that the oldest living person in the world, and I could not have timed this, died this week on Wednesday? How about that? This is from World Magazine. People across France Wednesday mourned the death of the world's oldest known person, Lucille Randon, a French nun known as Sister Andre. She was 118. Now the oldest person known is American-born Maria Brañas Morera, who is living in Spain, and she's 115. So Maria is going to die one day, and then the next oldest living person is going to die one day. We all die. Everyone eventually dies except for two people. Two people in the Old Testament don't actually die. The major prophet Elijah and this guy Enoch. So of all the people who don't have to experience physical death before they go to be with the Lord, two people ever, the major prophet Elijah and this guy Enoch, who we know nothing about. Now, it makes sense that Elijah gets a special ending, right? I mean, if you've read your Bible, Elijah is a major player. His actions are used. They're geopolitically massive. 
in the ancient Near Eastern world. So that makes sense. But Enoch? I mean, comparing Elijah to Enoch is like comparing George Washington to your town's mayor. Does your town have a mayor? Do you even know if your town has a mayor? See, you don't even know. This is the difference between Elijah and Enoch. And here's the danger for Christians as we read the Bible. Oh, David was so great. He went up against Goliath. Oh, Noah was so great. Oh, Esther was so great. Look at all these great Christians. I'm reading a biography. Look at what this person did. And we think we have to do something like that to please God. For that to be a rewarded life. And so Elijah, yeah, he's one of those VIPs. But God is reminding us through Hebrews that you and I, if we just have faith that tries to please God each day, that is going to be remembered by the one who keeps score, our Heavenly Father. That is world-changing faith, and we see it in Enoch. Elijah gets a special ending. In 2 Kings 2.11, he's walking with Elisha. It says, And they still went on and talked, Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Chariots of fire and a whirlwind. Makes sense for Elijah. But Enoch, really? What did he do? That's a guy who was living for the Lord. And he doesn't have to die like Elijah. The only two people in human history who don't have to experience natural death. Elijah, why does he not get a special ending too? The answer, as I said, is very encouraging. It encouraged my heart all week as I was examining the life of Enoch. Here's the answer. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. And God remembers just your faith. God wanted us to know about Elijah, but God also wanted us to know about Enoch. Simple faith pleases God. And this means for us that a faith that pleases God is the goal of our lives as Christians. A faith that pleases God is the goal of our lives as Christians. That's the goal. What is your goal this week? If your goal this week is to please God by faith, you win. You're doing it right. You're being a human as you were designed to be. And that leads us to point number two. So Enoch's ending, he didn't have to die a natural death like only one other person in history. But second, Enoch's legacy. What is Enoch's legacy? Look at verse five one more time. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, here it is, he was commended as having pleased God. So, Enoch's legacy is a faith that pleased God. If you have a faith that pleases God, you've triumphed, you've won, you've succeeded, you've done it, you've accomplished the goal, you've been fully human, big or small, famous or forgotten, world-changing faith or diaper-changing faith. That's the goal of being human. It's why you are here on earth to glorify God. And your faith is the thing. In the famous historic catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, 
The first question is this. Many of you have heard this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what does it mean to be a human? What is the goal of existing? And the answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end, the singular reason we exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you glorify God and enjoy him, you are playing the game correctly and you've done it. Well done. Many of you have been walking with the Lord for years and decades and maybe half centuries And you desire today to just, by faith, please God, knowing that you don't have to earn your way, but through the cross of Jesus Christ, as we sang, he has earned your way to him. And as his child, today you woke up and you just want to please God. That is it. That's the whole thing. Wanting to please God with your life. And yet, the temptation for us to sin is to not do that. The temptation for our hearts in a world like we live in is to please ourselves, to listen to our hungers and our desires and meet all of our own needs and live for me instead of living for the Lord. That is the perpetual human temptation. And everyone out in the world is asking the question right now, what does it mean to be human? What is the point of being a human? And they're answering that question in more and more harmful and dehumanizing ways. We live now in a world that keeps asking the question, what does it mean to be fully human? And the answers being provided are not, please the Lord. And because they're not finding the solution, they're coming up with more and more harmful and dehumanizing ways. And so think of the major religious views of our day. The religion of expressive individualism says you, our God, express yourself to the world and have everyone affirm that, and that is what it means to be human. And that's incompatible with Christianity. Uh, The religion represented by the rainbow flag is incompatible with Christianity. That religion says you decide who you are, why you are, how you should live, and what boundaries you should exist within. But Christ purchases us from ourselves and calls us to love him and serve him with all we do. And if you're just looking inside and being true to yourself, you will be a slave to yourself and you will live a life that cannot in the end have true meaning. The religion of let me live my life however I want is incompatible with Christianity because we were called for a bigger kingdom than our own little kingdom. And the religion of be true to yourself is always going to lead to harm and destruction. It's incompatible with Christianity. That religion will make you say, get away from me, you people, unless you add to my joy. And your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. That religion is everywhere. And its main truth statement is that you must live to only please yourself. But Christianity offers something so much better, so much more humanizing than that. You were created for more than just living to please your own heart. And that religion, the religion of our world, it's, it's harming so many people, but it harms all the adults who believe it too. 
It leads to us willingly giving ourselves over to the feelings and the winds of the day. Your current feelings will be your master. And guess what happens if you want to live or to be true to yourself? You could not die on the cross for your own sins. And so in that world, when you seek to please just yourself more than anything else, there cannot be a savior for you. But there is. Because the God of Enoch, whom Enoch lived to please, would one day send his son to not live for his own pleasure, but to suffer and die so that we could be redeemed and live lives that please God by faith. So Enoch's legacy is rejecting the lie of be true to yourself. He lived. We don't even know what he did, but he lived to please God. What a wonderful legacy. And you can have that legacy too. If your desire by grace through faith in Jesus is just today to please God. That's Enoch's legacy. Point number three is how faith pleases God. This is in verse six. So having discussed the faith of uh, Abel and now Enoch, the author is going to make a point about faith, which we all need to hear. And this really sets the groundwork for all the other saints we're going to read about in the coming weeks in our sermon series. Verse 6 talks about what faith does. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So as I said, the authors mentioned two people so far, Abel, who offered to God what he had, and Enoch, who just wanted to please God. These people are historically famous because they just wanted to love God and honor God. And with those two men in mind, men in mind the author makes this point about faith. And as I was reading commentaries this week, someone said it so well that I thought, I can't reword that and make it my own. I'm just going to have to give credit. So I got two of these, these two points about verse six uh, from one of the commentaries. I think it was Al Mohler, I think, uh, wrote that commentary. Okay, here's the two points on verse six. Without faith, you cannot be commended. Without faith, you cannot be commended. And second, with faith, you cannot be condemned. With faith, you cannot be condemned. So without faith, you cannot be commended. With faith, you cannot be condemned. And that's that line, the beginning of verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So let's talk about that first point. Without faith, you can't be commended. Commended is the word the author of Hebrews uses to say, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, they were commended by God because of their faith. That means made right with God. That means your sins are forgiven and you are right with your holy heavenly Father. Not because of what they did, but because of their faith, which is a gift from God, which makes them right with God, which is the source and wellspring of the actions that they are remembered for. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. Commended. It means your sins are forgiven. You could give millions to charity, you could serve 100,000 bowls of soup to the hungry. You could clothe a billion people. You could obey every law perfectly. But this will not bring God's commendation because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need a perfect Savior to die in our place. And Jesus is that. We cannot be that. You could do all these good works. And that will not make you right with God. But if there's faith, you are right with God. 
We put our trust in Jesus Christ, and by grace through faith, we are saved. You can't earn your way to God because we've all fallen short. So without faith, we cannot be commended. But point two is with faith, you cannot be condemned. Amen? With faith, you cannot be condemned. We're saved by faith alone, not works. And once we're saved, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which is seen as good works. And those works that we do by faith come as evidence of the faith in our hearts, not the other way around. And once we're saved, write this verse down, Romans 8 verse 1. Romans 8 verse 1. Although Romans 8.32 is another great verse to sing along with those kiddos today. I love that one. But Romans 8.1 says this, if you've got faith. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And since there's no condemnation, no judgment on your sins anymore, all you will hear on the last day is, Well done, daughter, or well done, son. You had faith in Christ and you tried to please God with all you had and did. That is the only assessment on the last day for us. There is no condemnation, no condemnation, only commendation. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. By faith, you will hear that and you will love hearing that. And by faith, hear it now. Because the Lord is saying about his children even today, even in weeks when we have stumbled, by faith the Lord still loves us. There is still no condemnation for us. So how do we know we have this faith? Look back at verse 6. If you're thinking, what does it look like? How do I know that I have this faith which will please the Lord? Verse 6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's what faith believes. Do you believe this today? Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that he gave us his word and this holy word reveals God to you? Do you believe the basic things about God? Do you believe the truths that matter? Like Jesus was his son sent to be our redeemer. Do you believe that? Do you believe, do you really believe that? That's half of faith. Must believe that he exists. And the other part of faith is that he rewards those who seek him. That he says on the last day, well done. That he rewards you even now with faith and hope and courage and joy and endurance to get through what you're going to face this week, which you don't even know is coming Tuesday or Thursday or Friday. I don't know either. The Lord does and he will reward you with what you need to get through that. Faith believes that God rewards our faith, that he rewards our good works, that he rewards the fruit of the Spirit as it grows in us. And he says, look at that piece of fruit. That piece of peaceful fruit is there. But last week, last month, there was a piece of angry fruit. But now there's a piece of peaceful fruit. The Lord says, good, it's beautiful. The fruit's growing on this tree. I love you. You're doing great. I know it's hard. And next week you'll have another piece of peaceful fruit on that tree where another piece of angry fruit fell off. Well done as the fruit of the Spirit grows in you. Faith believes that God rewards that and doesn't give up on us. But here's the thing. The reward of faith is not benefits. 
The reward of our faith, more than anything else, is the rewarder. We get gifts from God, but the gift giver is the actual true gift. We get rewards from God, but the rewarder is actually the gift. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The greatest reward for the Christian is God himself holding our hand, walking with us through every situation we face. He is the reward of faith. So for some of you, you are going to faithfully suffer this week. And the biggest reward is that God is going to have been with you every second of that suffering. And he will never let you go. And that's the reward. He is the reward. The rewarder is the reward. And while you're suffering, while you're going through that, he, like a loving father, is not just holding you, but he's singing over you. And that's your reward. And that can't be taken away by circumstances. And it can't be taken away by that other person you're thinking of who said that thing. They can't steal your joy because the Lord will never say that about you because there's no condemnation anymore in Jesus Christ. That is the reward. And this faithfulness that Enoch lived, this faithfulness that God desires to produce in us makes us think of Jesus Christ who was the better Enoch, because Enoch was a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and he lived the perfect, pleasing life of faith. So we want to talk very briefly as we conclude on the active obedience of Christ. The active obedience of Christ. Jesus was obedient in two ways when you think about theological categories. There's the passive obedience of Jesus, and that's Jesus going to suffering and cross to die in our place. He passively was assaulted, was beaten, was killed on the cross for our sins. That's his passive righteousness or passive obedience. But the active obedience of Jesus is what we really want to think about this week as we're trying to live a life like Enoch. Because Jesus lived every day of his life, 24, 7, 365 and a quarter, 33 or so years, trying to please his heavenly Father in all that he was called to do. We think about what Jesus did and we think of the last week of his life. But how about the first three decades of his life? Active righteousness was Jesus this is going to be hard, teenagers, perfectly obeying his parents. He did that to make you able to do that, to obey your parents joyfully. He did that perfectly. He didn't whine ever, which humbles all of us. Some of us whined this morning. Jesus lived out his active righteousness, a life that pleased God, by doing his work every day, nine to five or however long it was, most likely carpentry for a while with his father. And Jesus lived out that perfect righteousness by remaining self-controlled when people mocked him and bullied him and slandered him and lied about him and said mean things to him. And he stayed self-controlled so that he would be that perfect, passive righteousness sacrifice one day. He had to have lived a perfect life. And so he did. And our faith in Jesus, who lived his whole life to please the Lord, enables us to do likewise. So this week, if it's hard, stare at Jesus when you do another load of laundry to please the Lord. In fact, when you do your laundry, you're doing it to please the Lord. 
One of my kids was asked by the neighbor this weekend to go over to his yard and pick up sticks for a couple bucks. And I said, remember who you're picking those sticks up for. You're picking them up for the Lord first. And then for the neighbor who's going to reimburse you, pay you for that. But we're doing our homework for the Lord. We're doing our jobs for the Lord. Next time you have to do a spreadsheet, you're doing it to please the Lord. More than anyone else, you're pleasing the Lord. Yes, you go to another meeting to please the Lord, who will be the only person pleased by that meeting. Because no one else wants to be there. Yes, go another trip to the grocery store to please the Lord more than anything else. Yes, another doctor visit to please the Lord. Yes, the kids need new sneakers again to please the Lord. Yes, supporting the cause of life in Pennsylvania, even though it's been 50 years and there's a lot of work left, you do that to please the Lord. You support the local pro-life pregnancy centers we support. Yes, another one. Yes, the garden needs weeding to please the Lord. If Jesus ever weeded a garden, he did it to please the Lord, and we can too. Yes, another bill to pay to please the Lord. Yes, the dishes are never done to please the Lord. Do some more dishes to please the Lord. Yes, another email to please the Lord. Now, I have no guarantees, but I would like to think that there will not be email in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, make it happen. So here's the thing. Everything you face this week by faith is going to end up as one of two things. Everything you're going to face this week, emails, meetings, laundry, diapers, everything else, it's an opportunity to please the Lord. And you will do one of two things. You will receive that by faith. That email, that phone call, that doctor visit, that diaper change, that mockery, whatever it is, you will receive it by faith from the Lord and seek to please the Lord with it, or you will reject it with complaint. Everything that comes, you will receive it by faith and please the Lord, or you will reject it with complaint. Every email can please God. Every load of laundry can please God. Spreadsheet can please God. Every order in the drive-thru can please God, or every one of those things can become a complaint. Everything we face this week is an opportunity. We'll receive it by faith, like Enoch and then like Jesus, or we will reject it with complaint. And friends, my final encouragement is that when it's tempting to take the things God gives us this week and to reject them and to complain about them, we do what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. We fix our eyes not on Enoch, but on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we look at his whole life of pleasing obedience to God. And we see that Jesus gladly obeyed God in all the little mundane moments of every day. That's how he lived his life. And it pleased God. And Enoch just did that. And we're talking about him. Thousands of years later. And we don't even know what he did, but we know who he lived for. Some of you might be world changers, and that's awesome. But most of us are called to simple, humble faith. In all the small, repetitive, and mundane things. All the little annoyances, all the little victories, and on all our interactions with other people. So, in our thought life, and with our phones, and in our cars... Let's all ask every moment, is this interaction with this person pleasing to God? That's our desire. Is this TV show I'm watching pleasing to God? Or is it just pleasing to me? Is this website I'm going on pleasing to God or just pleasing to me? Is this app helping me be pleasing to God? Or is this app distracting me from being pleasing to God? Is my social media account pleasing to God? Or is it pleasing to myself? 
Would God be pleased by the lyrics of the songs I listen to? We ask that question about everything because we are called and equipped and redeemed by Jesus to live lives by faith that please God. Enoch's legacy is a faith that pleases God. And Jesus died and rose again and defeated sin, Satan, and death. All the things that try and stop us from living lives pleasing a God so that we could have victory this week and by simple, humble faith live a life that will be remembered for nothing but one thing, pleasing our Heavenly Father. That's a great legacy to leave. May God help us by the power of Jesus Christ live lives that were pleasing to God. Let me pray. Lord, this is hard. There's so many desires in our hearts and minds, so many temptations, so many distractions. Lord, today we give our lives to you. We commit to live lives that are pleasing to you, but we can't do it on our own strength. So Lord, help us fix our eyes on Jesus, your son and our savior, so that today our life might simply be pleasing to you, which is the reason we're here. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And Lord, thanks especially for your patience with us as we try to live lives that are pleasing to you. And as we please you with our faith, help us to enjoy you forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.